You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. I do want to make two special remarks. I want to, there's a sweet lady, I think, who's possibly watching our service today, Miss Edna Keaton. I want to tell her I love you. And I hope you're doing better. And then also want to say, uh, I want to thank Brandon Kane uh, for some research he's done for me and contributing to this message. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon that I've entitled, Do You Know Your Enemy? Do You Know Your Enemy? If you search... For the answer to what is America's greatest enemy, you will get all kinds of responses. The president says it's the news media, and the news media says it's the president. Democrats say it's Republicans, and Republicans say it's Democrats. Some say it's the Russians. Some say it's the North Koreans, and others say it's climate change. With all the concerns in the world, can we really single out our greatest enemy? According to this Bible passage, I think we can. It sheds light on humanity's greatest enemy enemy and my question I want to press on you today is do you know your enemy do you know your enemy let's read Matthew chapter 8 verse 14 it says this Jesus went into Peter's house and saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever The idea is she's literally thrown onto the bed, incapacitated by a very serious illness. Look at verse 15. So he, referring to Jesus, notice all he did. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. A couple of things about this passage. When you and I get better from an illness or a sickness where we've had a fever, generally, even when we're on the mend, even in our recovery, we are weak and feeble. Most of the times when we say we're better, it really doesn't mean I'm well enough to get up and prepare a meal for other people and guests. I don't know if you've ever received that kind of immediate recovery from a sickness. And the point of this passage is not so much pointing out uh, this mother-in-law's ability to quickly serve Jesus a meal as much as it was that when Jesus touched her, she immediately got up completely whole, well enough to cook him supper. That's a phenomenal miracle. And here's the first thing that I want you to see in this passage When it comes to Jesus, your enemy is not sickness. Your enemy 
is not sickness. In James chapter 5, verse 14, James 5, 14, these are the elders of the early church, the pastors or the shepherds of the early church. And James, the brother of Jesus, tells this, is, tells this to churches and congregations. He says this, Is anyone among you sick? He should call the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now please catch this, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have the power to make you well. Prayer itself doesn't necessarily mean you will be made well. Okay? And we'll discuss that more as we go. But I do want you to see this. There is healing in the name of the Lord. Amen. This is important. Because I want you to think about Peter's mother-in-law. Did Peter's mother-in-law have faith in Jesus that she would be healed? Look in the text. Is there any notion of that? No. Jesus did this of his own sovereign will and volition. He got up and touched her. She got up and served him. So when it comes to sickness and King Jesus, if you know King Jesus, your real enemy is not sickness. Because he can fix sickness with just a touch. Look at the next verse. Verse 16. When the evening came, this is after supper, when evening came, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. Another interesting part of the culture in that time. According to Jewish literature, to drive out demons, those who were possessed by demons... Jewish exorcists used drastic measures in order to accomplish this. They would use things like offensive odors in hopes to drive demons out. They would even use things like hook as if they could hook a demon and take him out of a person. And all that Matthew wants us to see here as he writes his gospel, his biography of the life of God's Son, Jesus... Is that when Jesus is around and people are demon-possessed, does Jesus have to use all those scare tactics to get a demon to go away? No, church. What does he have to say? A word. If you know Jesus and you know his word, number two, your enemy is not even Satan. Now catch this, when it comes to King Jesus and even those who have satanic strongholds, demon possession, oppressed by demonic forces, if King Jesus is by your side, it's just a word. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. 1 John 4, 4. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to those who've repented of their sins and trusted Christ as their Savior. He says, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
Here's what that means. That now that we've repented of our sins and trusted Christ as our Savior, that we believe Jesus died for sin and God raised him from the dead in victory over sin, Jesus has the authority and power to pour out the Holy Spirit into our lives. We have a relationship with God that no one else can claim. And because God is in us, no devil has room. He's filled us up to the uttermost. Jesus and His Word and the Spirit says, Satan's not even your enemy when you know me. When you know me. So what's our real enemy? Now please catch this. I am not saying that sickness isn't an adversary or that Satan is not an adversary. They are adversaries. They are opponents. But they are the fruit of the root of our real enemy. Please catch that. If you can get to the root, the source of who our real enemy is, all these other enemies, you'll see that they're peripheral. That Jesus can easily handle these enemies because he's dealt with our worst enemy. So what is our worst enemy? Look at what it says in verse 17. So... Notice what's happened so far, real quick, before I read it. Matthew showed Jesus touched, touched Peter's mother-in-law. Sickness fled. Jesus comes and speaks a word. Remember, hey, the man's demon-possessed. This has nothing to do with that man's faith. He's not under the control. Jesus speaks a word, and the demon goes, Bye-bye. And so he, he, he sums it up here in verse 17. So that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He, in referring to Jesus, he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. Now, you're probably, and I'm just taking a guess, may not know the direct reference that Matthew is quoting here, but this sheds so much light on what Jesus is doing. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, Matthew is quoting a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. You can find it in Isaiah 53, verse 4. And if you've got thumbs of thunder, turn there real quick, okay? I want to make sure you see or use your Bible app. Isn't that great? <laughs> it makes it real easy. Isaiah 53, verse 4. And in this prophecy, and in Isaiah 53, this is a prophecy known as the suffering servant. That the Messiah would come and suffer for the sins of many. And I want you to see the whole context, or the broader context, in which Matthew is saying Jesus fulfills this 700-year-old prophecy about the Messiah's suffering. And I want you to see the verses that follow it. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, I'm going to quote to you, I'm going to read to you what Matthew was quoting, and then I want to read the rest, the next two verses, because this changes everything. It says this, Isaiah prophesying, God has given him insight into the future about who his son, who his Messiah, what his mission would be on the earth. And here's what he says, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken. Look at verse 5, but he, the Messiah, 
was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities or sins. Punishment for our peace was on Him and we are healed by His wounds. Verse 6, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity or sin of us all. Here is your worst enemy. Write it down. Your worst enemy is sin. Your worst enemy is sin. Now what is sin? Sin is disobedience to God's Word. This book, the law of God. We've all not loved God like we should. We've all not loved others like we should. We haven't experienced the Spirit-filled joy, peace, and patience that God expects of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And my Bible teaches me, it teaches all of us, that the penalty or the punishment for sin, rebellion, not doing what God wants, is death. Let this sink in for a moment. This should show you the gravity of sin. Jesus got rid of sickness with what? Say it. A touch. Jesus got rid of demon possession with what? A word. How did he get rid of sin? He bled and died. Do you see that? The penalty of sin? God did what? He took the penalty of our sin and put it where? On Jesus. He took the punishment that would bring us peace and put it what? Upon Jesus. He took all the sins of humanity and put it upon who? Jesus. And here's why this is important, ladies and gentlemen. You may tell you why we're sick. You may tell you why Satan oppresses us because many, many years ago, our great great granddaddy and grandmama in Adam, we took of the forbidden fruit, we disobeyed the word of God. Death, decay, sickness, and the curse fell on the earth because of our sin. And each day, you and I endorse. Adam and Eve's decision because we go on sinning. We sin. And so we look at the world. Please understand, you've made a correct assessment. If you look at the world and you go, what's wrong with the world? And we look at politics and health and ignorance and all these type of things. We look at them, but I want you to notice this. Those are the symptoms. Those are the fruit. You haven't gotten to the root. The root of all of the problems in the world is our sin. Collectively as humanity and personally as individuals. We've all sinned against God and we are living in the fallout, the dire consequences of it. But here's what I want you to see. This shows you that King Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, is God's Son. He's the Messiah. He's the suffering servant. The reason why Jesus can go and heal a sickness with a touch and cast out a demon with a word is because God saw His Son lay down His life on the cross and get rid of the root of our problem. Do you see that? He got rid of sin. And so the healings, the healings that Jesus does, they point to the cross. He wants to say it this way. If you had Matthew in the room, you think if healing someone by a touch is something, if you think driving out a demon with a word is something, get ready for the cross. Get ready for the cross. Now some interpreters twist and pervert Matthew 
chapter 8, verse 17. And I want to call it out for just a minute so you can appreciate what it really means and you can see what else is false when people teach this. Some people take Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, and they say, Since Jesus bore sin, he must also have bore sickness. Therefore, there is something called, and catch this, I'm going to talk about it more, healing in the atonement. The, the word atonement is generally the price that Jesus paid to bring us back together with God. That inherently now in Jesus' work on the cross is that God will always heal you. That is a false teaching. And let me explain what I mean by that. Here's where this crops up. You'll see it with guys or in books like Becoming a Better You by Joel Olstein. He writes, maybe Alzheimer's disease ruins, uh, runs in your family genes, but don't succumb to it. Instead, say every day, my mind is alert. I have clarity of thought. I have a good memory. Every cell in my body is increasing and getting healthier. If you'll rise up in your authority, you can be the one to put a stop to the negative things in your family. Start boldly declaring God is restoring health unto me. I'm getting better every day and in every way. That's false. It's false. You say, Josh, now how do you know that's false? Two things, scripture and experience teaches us some things about this. Number one, I do believe that there is healing in the atonement. But there is an order to that healing. And this is what we see. We read, we take one verse and read the rest of Scripture in it and don't allow the rest of Scripture to help us to interpret the one verse. I do believe there's healing in the atonement. But think about all the things, all the blessings Jesus secured for you and I at the cross. Y'all, it's okay to get a little happy about this. When Jesus died on the cross, you know what he also bought? He bought the restoration of all creation. You know how my Bible ends? John says this in Revelation 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You understand? Hey, at the cross, Jesus bought the new heaven and the new earth. The other thing is this. At the cross, Jesus bought our resurrected bodies. Do you know, yes, Josh Taylor, unless the Lord returns, I will age, decay, and die. But because of repentance and faith in the saving grace of God, I am not dead forever. In fact, I will be raised to immortality and incorruptibility to never die again. And here's what we have to see in the scripture is that there's an order to experiencing these blessings. Some blessings we get to experience this side of heaven. We call them already here. And some blessings are just not yet. And so I want you to think about this. Jesus has purchased way more than your healing. He's purchased way more. If you think about it, he's purchased all of our healing. Sickness and decay, sorrow. There'll be no crime in the new heavens and the new earth. None will never decay, will never age. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 26 says. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 26. But there is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Jesus is the only one raised to live again, to never die again. I want you to think about this for a moment. Peter's mother-in-law, yes, she was healed, but later she will 
die. Lazarus come forth. He's revived. He's resurrected. But we know what? Lazarus later dies. There's only been one man raised from the dead to glory. And that's King Jesus. But it, notice what it says. As Christ was raised the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when He comes back. After that, the end will come and, we will tur- and He will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until He humbles all of His enemies beneath His feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now I want you to think about this. If you know your Bible is in Revelation, yeah, does Satan still roam the earth? Yeah, but you said, well, he bought it at the cross. We find this, he's thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 21. See, he's already been defeated, but the experience of his defeat is yet to be carried out or completed. Hey, death's already been conquered. We have no reason to fear it. It's just a shadow. It's just a door. We just walk through it. But is it done with as a part of a feature of reality? Not yet. But according to my Bible, Revelation 21, Jesus goes, hey, bring death over here. Throw it in there too. Not everyone on this side of heaven will be healed. We have to trust God's power to do the impossible. I want you to hear this. You, if you're walking away today, is Josh saying God does not heal today? That is not what I'm saying. I'd be going against Scripture. I'd be going against James chapter 5, verse 13. I'm saying this. We also have to trust God's sovereignty as to why He may or may not heal here. I want you to, I want you to know this, though. But healing is coming. It is coming. Can I encourage you, for those who are suffering... Especially if you're suffering under this cruel teaching that if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why that's just baloney. Number one, there's a part of sin and sickness and suffering that we all experience because we just all sinned. We're in a fallen, broken world and that fallenness points us to the Savior. The other reason is this. You go look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. God sent sickness to disobedient Christians. i got to be truthful to you. Sometimes God allows sickness due to our personal disobedience. In that context, the, uh, the church of Corinth was divided. There was strife and divisions among them, and they were taking communion unworthy. Here they're having communion, yet their church isn't in community. And God sent a sickness, hey, and some even died because of it, to wake them up. But can I tell you other things? God sometimes permits sickness for our dependency. The greatest spiritual position we can be in is dependent upon God. And some of us, I'm not saying these are true for everybody. I'm just giving you the list of biblical reasons what your sickness may be due to. It could be just sin in general. You're a part of humanity. It could be something personal. God's trying to get your attention. Something is this. Hey, God goes, you're arrogant and you're self-sufficient. But a little bit of sickness will put you on your knees, and that's a good place for you to be. But then the fourth thing that I want to encourage you with when it comes to sickness, I want you to know God can receive just as much glory through an immediate, complete healing as he can through supernaturally empowering you and fortifying you on the inside to put up with the pressures of the world. Let me tell you some of the most glorious things I've ever seen. I'm not trying to twist the scriptures. I'm telling you honest, is when I see a saint who suffers well. Because you know 
They don't have that ability. That's a God-given ability. He'll never leave nor forsake us. So what should we do in light of today's passage? What should we do knowing our enemy? Number one, so what? Number one, pray for healing. Pray for healing. We still serve a king who's conquered the root. So that means he can deal with the fruit. I really believe it. I, I, I dare say we could have faith today to go, God, you can make me immediately and completely whole. And if he wants to, you could be healed in this service before you walk out. You need to know that. That's the king we serve. The other thing is this. There may be a stronghold in your life, something that you can't break off of you. God can. Now, again, I cannot guarantee, I can't twist the arm of God, but I have to preach to you that all things are possible. They're possible. So pray for healing. But the most important thing, I'll tell you this, because you got to, let me say this. If you, if you were physically well all your life and never experienced temptation from Satan or any kind of oppression and yet died in your sins, you lived a miserable life. If you gained the whole world and lost your soul, you're, you're still a loser. You're still lost. So the second thing is pray for salvation, please. That's the root of all of our problems. And Jesus, with his death on the cross, God giving his son up for us, putting the penalty of sin on Jesus' back, and him bearing the wrath of God for us, has set us free from the penalty of sin. Here's what I can guarantee you, according to this book, Listen to this. If you'll turn from your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior right here in this moment, the penalty of sin can be broke off your back. The Spirit of God will enter your life and will, and will fight and war against the power and influence of sin. And here's what I also can guarantee you. The King is coming. And He's going to make it all right. He's going to make it all right. Hey, but you can't notice, you can't receive that promise till you see your sin and trust Jesus to deal with it. Charles Spurgeon said, Sin is the root of our infirmities and diseases. And so, in taking the root, he took all the bitter fruit which that root did bear. God took sin from off the back of sinners, that's you and I, and laid it on the innocent and only begotten Son. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And here's the thing. Jesus, God raised him from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. And if you're ready to turn from your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior, he hears our thoughts and whispers, and he can save you now. Your worst enemy can be eradicated in King Jesus' name. I want to show you something. You see there in your insert, if you don't have it out, just pull it out for just a moment for me. I want, to know, I want you to see this little prayer. This little prayer right here. As I was reading through some books or commentaries, I thought this was a beautiful way 
to show you how could I pray to receive salvation. There's nothing magical about a prayer. <laughs> I mean, it's about, and a prayer expresses the earnest desire of our heart. If we hate sin, if we see sin's the, the enemy and let's hate sin and come to love, trust, and obey Jesus, then prayer is just the voice of faith. Prayer is just the voice of turning from sins and believing in Christ. And I saw this, and I want you to just, just read this. Don't read it out loud, but just read this with me. Here's what I want you to pray if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And we're just going to substitute some prep, uh, uh, pronouns from Isaiah 53 just to tell Jesus this. Jesus, you were pierced for my transgressions. You were crushed for my sins. The punishment for my peace was upon you. By your wounds, I am healed. Here's what I want you to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never turned from your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to repeat that prayer. And if you want to be saved and become a Christian today, not just make a decision. I'm talking about enter into a relationship with Jesus that begins now and lasts through eternity. I'm just going to read that prayer back off. And if you want to pray that to King Jesus, know that he's hearing you now. Will you pray this silently in your heart? Just say, Jesus, you were pierced for my transgressions. You were crushed for my sins. The punishment for my peace was upon you. By your wounds, I am healed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.